This is Gulf Coast Life Arts Edition from WGCU. I'm John Davis. Thanks for joining us. Today's program marks our first episode back fully dedicated to covering the arts following the catastrophic devastation brought by Hurricane Ian. Just like the rest of us, local artists and arts organizations have been hit hard by the storm right near the start of what is traditionally considered the annual performance season. Many musicians lost their homes, and with them, the instruments and much of the equipment they need to perform live shows and earn a living, not to mention that so many of the venues where fans have gathered to support their favorite local bands are closed indefinitely or were completely wiped out by the hurricane. Venice Theater's 1926 theater building suffered immense damage in the millions of dollars as Ian's wrath collapsed the back wall, winds tore open the roof, and water flooded the building's jury theater space. The building actually collapsed on top of the set of the play The Revolutionists, which was still in production at the time. But that didn't deter some 300 people from coming out for Venice Theater's annual volunteer appreciation party as they worked to rebuild. Further south, the Wang Opera Center, home to Opera Naples, incurred significant damage from storm surge flooding. And they've also been in the rebuilding process under the leadership of new executive director Laura Burns, whose first day on the job was just a few days after Ian made landfall. The Naples Players' iconic home on Fifth Avenue South in Naples was largely spared significant hurricane damage, and the company has opened its doors to the community, hosting a small business administration emergency relief center and providing a place for free childcare when schools were closed as well as just a place to be in the air conditioning and have access to Wi-Fi. Their performances of Blythe Spirit are back on, giving weary audiences a bit of a reprieve with levity and laughter. Likewise, Laboratory Theater of Florida and Fort Myers extended their performances of The Play That Goes Wrong for two additional weeks. Last weekend, Lab Theater also provided two free performances of the show. Lab Theater's nearly 100-year-old building weathered the storm, but they have lost the education and profs buildings on their campus. The Southwest Florida Symphony, in response, is turning their Masterworks series into charity concerts that are free to attend. The first one is this evening at 7 at 8 Foot Brewing in Cape Coral. Donations collected will benefit the Cape Coral Community Foundation for hurricane relief efforts. Friday evening, Southwest Florida Symphony will perform at the Ice House Pub in Panagorda, with donations benefiting the Charlotte Community Foundation. And Saturday night... They'll bring a performance of the Mendelssohn Octet and Mozart String Quartet No. 19 to the Bell Tower shops in Fort Myers, with donations benefiting the United Way and non-perishable food donations going to the Heights Center. Florida Repertory Theater in downtown Fort Myers has been in an impressively rapid recovery mode. The historic arcade theater, the art stage, studio theater, and all the Florida Rep's first floor facilities suffered massive flood inundation. Still, they're going ahead with performances of Lady Day at Emerson Bar and Grill, but the location has moved to the Alliance for the Arts Foltz Theater. Meanwhile, the cast of their upcoming main stage production of Incident of Our Lady of or Incident at Our Lady of Perpetual Help continues rehearsals via Zoom. The Sydney and Byrne Davis Arts Center in downtown Fort Myers is also recovering from significant damage. The basement of the Sydney and Byrne was almost completely flooded. Still, they're accepting and distributing critical items to impacted residents, all the while going ahead with the macabre dark art exhibition in their Grand Atrium Gallery. Also in Fort Myers, the Broadway Palm Dinner Theater has served as a vital distribution point for immediate essentials like bottled water and hot meals. Today also marks the official reopening of Broadway Palm with its production of A Chorus Line. Joining me now for a closer look at how some of Southwest Florida's arts organizations are rebuilding, maintaining their resiliency, 
helping each other and the broader community is the Florida Rep's artistic director, Greg Long and Hangen. Welcome back, Greg. Thanks, John. Good to be with you. We're also joined by Sydney and Byrne Davis Art Center President and CEO Jim Griffith. Welcome to the program. Thank you. Glad to be here. Margaret Cooley, Production Manager for Laboratory Theater of Florida, joins us in studio as well. Welcome. Hi, it's nice to be here. And with us by phone is uh, owner and executive director of the Broadway Palm Dinner Theater, Will Prather. Thanks for taking the time, Will. Welcome back. Thanks, John. And later in today's show, we'll feature a conversation with musician and longtime Fort Myers Beach resident Stephen Martin. Despite losing their home and production facility on the island, Stephen and Lori Martin have written and recorded a song highlighting the uplifting determination of the community following this hurricane. And to engage with us and your fellow listeners about this conversation or any of our shows, find us on Facebook. We're at WGCU Public Media. On Twitter, we're at WGCU using the hashtag GCL. Um, Greg, I, I wanted to start with you first just... Tell me about what you encountered the first time you were able to get to the Florida Rep after the storm. Yeah, so the first the first noticeable uh, thing there was that because of the water inundation that uh, came up onto Bay Street from the river, <clears throat> excuse me, there was a um, all of this black sludgy, sledgy type stuff in the hallways of the arcade. In fact, you really couldn't even see the floor of the arcade for the for the mud that was there and some of the water that still remained. So we knew it was going to be, uh, uh, you know, not a, not a great sight to see. And as you stated already, we had uh, pretty significant water damage throughout the uh, throughout all of our spaces. From what I've seen on social media, the pace of recovery work mitigating that water damage has been really impressive. Are you giving your actors kind of a new set of skills? <laughs> <laughs> well, certainly, I, I will say this. I mean, our, our acting interns and many of our interns and in in different production interns, I, I could not be more proud of the, of our team down there. Um, they jumped right in. Everybody rolled up their sleeves and, and got to work to help mitigate and move things out, uh, uh, you know, some of our personal property out of the way so that the remediation team that then came in to cut out all the drywall and set up the humidifiers and fans and suck up the water and all of that, uh, that they could get more easily get to the places that they need to. Uh, and they really, really did uh, jump into action. Any cost estimates at this point on the extent of the damage or, or how long it might take to become fully operational again? Or too early. Yeah, it's, you know, John, that's a, that's a really good question. I, I don't, I don't know. I mean, this first half of it is all, you know, uh, we got to meet with our adjusters and figure out what our insurance adjuster and find out what, uh, you know, what is covered, what is not covered. Um, and sort of suss all of that out. But it's going to be, I mean, the entire Bradford block, um, and I know Jim had it in his basement too over there at the Sydney Burn. Um, you know, there's water just got through everything. So it, it, this is kind of my first rodeo with this kind of a, this kind of damage anywhere. Uh, so it's, it, that still remains to be seen. But it's going to be pretty costly, I can tell you that. Yeah. Uh, still, you're going ahead. Florida Rep is going forward with um, performances of Lady Day at Emerson's Bar and Grill. But the venue has moved to the Folds Theater at the Alliance for the Arts. Um, I'm curious about how that arrangement came about. I was joking with your colleague, Jason Parrish, earlier this week. Y'all don't seem to know you're supposed to be in competition. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's funny. I don't, you know, arts organizations, I think, in a way, because we're, you know, we're all we're all out there trying to, to uh, um, you know, create content and programming for the public. So in a lot of ways, we really are part of the same team. We're kind of trying to reach people. Uh, with similar um, experiences, I guess you could say. But uh, no, we had several organizations reach out, um, and one of them was uh, Annette Troshbach at the lab, you know, even reached out to us. 
And um, and I think Jason was driving by the Alliance on many of our trips around and said, you know what, I'm going to give Bill a call. And it just worked out that they that uh, Bill Taylor at the uh, um, Theater Conspiracy, which is housed at the Alliance, um, they it just worked out that they had space. They didn't have something that they were going to be up and running and producing. So we had a little bit of time there um, to to open up the show and keep it running. And we're, you know, just so grateful to the Alliance and Molly and Bill and everybody there at the Alliance to let us have a few weeks in that space because it's going to allow us to, those folks who had tickets already purchased for the show, it's going to give them an opportunity to come and see it. The space almost seems uh, ideal. Like you couldn't move a main stage production to the Folds Theater, but right. this is kind of perfect. It's really perfect because it's, it's actually uh, – the Folds Theater actually has a little bit more seating than our black box theater. I want to say they maybe they do 130 there as their max. It's all set to fire code. They tell us what we, you know, how many people we can put into our into our spaces. But um, it's it's really ideal. I mean, it, it's such a, a parlor piece, if you will. As you said, it's set inside of a bar, um, and we had it in a three quarter thrust formation. But to move it to a proscenium uh, formation, which the folds. Uh, theater has that because it's a proscenium stage. Works out really, really well. The set fits in there almost perfectly in terms of the the uh, stamp on the stage. So, uh, yeah, we're they're down there now rehearsing, actually getting ready for an opening tomorrow night. All right, and and meanwhile, rehearsals are ongoing on Zoom for uh, incident our, our our Lady of Perpetual Help. Yeah. Um, COVID taught us all about how to do that. <laughs> that's true. That's true. And we actually have them, John. The, the cast is now in town. They all arrived yesterday from various places, uh, several from New York and different places where our actors come from. Uh, some of them are our ensemble members who have come into town from various places as well. And, uh, yeah, so they, we had our first in-person rehearsal for that production uh, yesterday. And we're very oh, excited. Yeah, so we're excited to be uh, having that move forward, we we had to check the sanctity of the stage inside the arcade, and once we once that was deemed um, uh, a place that we could operate, it was safe. Then we decided, yeah, we're going to move forward and uh, and put that show up. I think it's something people will could you really use right now. It's a comedy. It's a family comedy. It's a la like Neil Simon. Uh, but instead of a Jewish family, it's an Irish Catholic family. And um, I think it's a pretty funny script. So I think it'll be just the right shot in the arm for some folks who are looking to escape for a couple of hours. Yeah, glad to hear they're able to rehearse in person. But I heard one of the Zoom rehearsals included the actual playwright in attendance. Katie Forget. Yeah, she showed up. Um, I'm, I'm pretty sure she joined us from Seattle because that's where she's based. Uh, she's the writer of the play. And she's also an actress, incidentally. But uh, yeah, when she was given the opportunity to join us, she jumped at it, which we were excited, and I think that was, uh, you know, helped boost a lot of spirits and, and uh, morale for the team and also the cast uh, for that rehearsal, so we were really pleased to have her on board. All right, and, and Greg, on a more somber note, I know the Florida rep lost at least one of its own. You know, longtime scene stealers volunteer, Marty Campbell, did, did not survive, Ian. What can you tell us about Marty? Um, she was a dedicated uh, uh, volunteer at Florida Rep. I want to say she'd been there. This would have been her 17th or 16th year yeah. with the organization. And um, just one of the great smiling faces and one of the great, really one of the great volunteers there who we have so many great volunteers. Without our volunteers, we would not be able to operate, quite frankly. They serve as our ushers and our, our parkers and they help us when we do events. But Marty was a, a, a special one and uh, we're really all um, sending our, our love and, and prayers to her family right now. It's, a, it's just a sad, sad scenario for sure. Yeah, and, and Greg, that, that kind of makes me think that in addition to all the recovery work you're doing, there's got to be this effort 
at least initially to you know reach out to the Florida rep family because imagine there's a lot of folks who who maybe survive but are just still in dire need yeah we we've been trying to you know we know a lot of people don't have uh, internet still so they're not able to get their emails um, but we have been reaching out to uh, our donor patrons and uh, trying to step up the communication now that we finally have uh, internet to be able to do it. We had to relocate our offices uh, to a, a drier space that, that was actually habitable. And now that we have internet, we're definitely moving forward with that, with our blasts, uh, e-blasts, and our social media and all of that stuff, too. Yeah. All right. And, and we'll pray there. I'd like to pivot to you. Uh, what kind of damage did the Broadway Palm Dinner Theater sustain, or, or would you say you, you got out relatively unscathed? Relatively unscathed. Very fortunate to where our location was, even though we're less than half a mile from the Clusahatchee. Uh, the storm surge did not come into our, uh, barely reached our parking lot. Uh, minor wind damage on the uh, on the AC units uh, up top that needed some repair, uh, but uh, we were very, very fortunate, very fortunate. And, Willie, you've turned the Broadway Palm space into this really vital distribution point for essentials like like cases of water and hot meals. Tell me about how this effort unfolded. Is this cost, you know, largely coming out of your pocket? So there were a couple facets to our recovery efforts. Uh, Initially, we uh, had an entire truckload of water show up uh, right after the storm. So we had 20 pallets of of water. Uh, we also got power fairly quickly, which means we were also able to keep, uh, we had a bunch of ice. Um, and then we have about 130 employees and 20 of them actually stayed here in the theater. Um, so we immediately began to, to feed them with the food within our kitchen and uh, really took care of our initial family. Um, and then uh, like Two days after that, I'd been talking to an advanced team with the World Central Kitchen, mm-hmm. um, and they were they were originally up in Tampa, and had to really clamor to move their entire footprint from Tampa, um, and they ended up their central location is uh, the Lee County Sports Complex, but they needed various distribution points throughout the region, and one of the things that was so complicated with this storm recovery, and the initial efforts to help people is. Um, it's really scattered very geographically to very difficult places to get to. Um, so they really needed to find as central locations as possible to distribute these hot meals that World Central Kitchen is known for. Um, and I'm looking at it right now in our parking lot. They're still serving uh, hundreds, if not thousands, of meals here. Um, so that that was just um, in partnership with World Central uh, Kitchen, uh, very well-funded operation, very logistically. Not, I mean, they're taking, you know, they were taking helicopters out to Pine Island and Sanibel uh, days after the storm. So um, it, we've just been very fortunate to partner with them, and we've opened up uh, two segments of our parking lot. Um, and it's just been it's been nice to be able to support those efforts uh, with here in our parking lot and in our and at our theater. Yeah, well, it was interesting to follow that effort on social media. Initially, it looked like you were all set up and ready to go, and just the word hadn't quite gotten out yet. But then when I checked back a few hours later, it was like, never mind, they found us. We're all here now. Yeah, it, it was, and, and, and Greg mentioned the challenge of Internet. You know, there's a lot yeah. of people that still don't have Internet. So, But people are getting social media on their phones and when they get to a Wi-Fi spot or they're still getting cell coverage. So uh, it, it, social media just all of a sudden within – 
you know, within the first day was a little soft and they actually were really disappointed. Um, and they stayed open really late. And this was like, I'm not kidding you. This is, but this was over the weekend, I think either that Friday or Saturday. And they had about a thousand meals left over that we were trying to figure out where to get them. And, and unfortunately, um, they went to waste. We, we couldn't give it, but then the next day it just, it just kind of went off the chart and has been, uh, really consistent since then. And I understand your your other theater endeavor, the the Dutch Apple Dinner Theater up in Pennsylvania, has been part of this recovery effort. Staff have come down from there. Patrons have yeah, been offering they, monetary donations. Yeah, we actually had a truck scheduled because we were supposed to go in with our whole set. We had to hold it, um, and so we we uh, threw some supplies on there with the set of a chorus line in our next show. A um, couple guys got in their car and just drove down here and and, and really helped. Uh, I, I wasn't actually here in town, so I, I had to try to figure out a way to get back because I was up working up north. So that was that was really challenging. But yeah, my te- my the my sister theater there in Lancaster, they're they're doing it curtain speech, raising money every time, and they're gonna uh, send some support financially uh, once they finish collecting from our audiences who have been have really been really supportive. Right. And today in particular must be exciting. It's the official reopening of the Broadway Palm Post, Ian. Are you particularly pleased to be reopening with performances of a chorus line? I mean, it's such an iconic Broadway classic, a wonderful reprieve from all the stress and strain we've been under. Yeah, so we, we did have what I feel very similar to how Greg feels. There's a couple of shows that we're reopening with, one being a chorus line, which people really know. It's one of those iconic Broadway shows that uh, tells a great story and is well-performed. Uh, but we also have um, a comedy going in our black box, Not Now Darling, a really lighthearted uh, situational comedy that uh, um, can also really give people an opportunity. But we have, since our phones came back on, um, they have really been ringing nonstop. Um, you know, hearing some really difficult stories and some difficult emails. And um, I think we've all agreed, and, and I've talked to a couple of other theaters, that if someone calls up and says, hey, I lost my home, um, I can't make it this year, uh, can I have my money back? We're giving them their money back. I mean, it's that simple. It's not that difficult. Um, but we have a great story today that I really touched me that, goes to show that you know you know we're gonna there's gonna be some audience that's not gonna be attending theater this season most likely and there's gonna be a shift in the market a little bit but um a a loyal subscriber lost everything on sanibel and her first email uh once she got somewhere was to us saying can you please reprint my season subscription tickets i need to come to the broadway palm and see a show and feel normal again um, so I think the art, uh, even as, you know, and, um, I, I, our um, post-COVID, as you can imagine, was a difficult climb back. Um, and, and we got a lot of support from all kinds of various, opportun- various things. But um, that support isn't coming this time other than the community returning to, to live performances and art galleries and, and music and, and everything that uh, our community has to offer. Uh, we're going to need that audience and that support when they feel like they can come back and they want to get away from it all for a little bit. Um, I think our arts community and the way we're all coming together and helping each other out is just a great example of how when we all work together, we're going to get through this. And, and I think that's a, 
you're, you're really seeing that in this arts community in Southwest Florida, and I'm, I'm just proud to be a part of this great group of people who are really trying to, you know, provide the leadership uh, to move forward. All right. Well, if you're just joining the show, we're highlighting the resiliency of arts organizations here in Southwest Florida, how they're recovering, helping each other, helping the broader community, and maintaining access to quality arts offerings across the board. We're speaking with Will Prather of the Broadway Palm Dinner Theater, Greg Longenhagen with Florida Repertory Theater, Jim Griffith with the Sydney and Byrne Davis Art Center, and Margaret Cooley with the Laboratory Theater of Florida. If you would like to comment on our conversation or engage with fellow listeners, again, you can find us on Facebook. We're at WGCU Public Media. On Twitter, we're at WGCU. Use the hashtag GCL. Um, Jim Griffith, I, I ran into Sean, who, who works at the Sydney and Burn, about two days after the storm, and that was the first I'd heard of the flooding. And quite frankly, it was the first I'd heard that the Sydney and Burn Davis Art Center had a basement. <laughs> and that kind of surprised me because I've spent so much time just exploring all of the the historical treasures that you've maintained from all the things that that building was in the past. But again, back to the question I asked Greg, what did you see, experience when you were first able to get back to the Sydney and Burn post-Ian? Well, actually, my wife and I, along with about 25 other people and their dogs and cats, rode out the storm at the Sydney and Burn Davis Art Center. You were there. Okay. So we actually watched from the second floor the, the river uh, inundate downtown. Uh, it was it was surreal and something we never thought we would ever see in our in our beautiful historic little downtown and uh it was heartbreaking to watch uh all the uh restaurants and uh, storefronts just just get covered up with water um and we uh, for some reason the federal government in back in 1933 uh had a wise decision to build the uh, our building is a former post office. They built it up slightly higher than the rest of the buildings in downtown. So uh, luckily, the the art center did not get any water inside. But we do have the, the Achilles heel that we've now learned is uh, our basement. Most people don't know that it's, it's there, but it's an, a partial basement underneath the building, which uh, we utilize for storage. All of our chairs are stored down there and uh, tools and equipment and um, – and uh, when they built the building, they put all the mechanics in the basement. So all the electric panels, the fire panels, the elevator uh, um, mechanics, everything's down there. Phone, internet, everything's in the basement. So um, we lost all of that. The building is is pristine, beautiful, but the basement was just a total uh, – total disaster. And when we finally were able to get down there, uh, we experienced the same thing that Greg did. It was just this black, muddy uh, slime (laughs) covering everything. Uh, We had to actually pump the basement out because it's below ground. So when the water receded, the the water in the basement stayed. So we actually, it took us a couple days to get the equipment to pump out the water, which didn't help it matters. but our team, uh, our amazing uh, little team at the art center, dug in and went down there and pulled everything out. And uh, we're saving, salvaging what we can. And unfortunately, we lost a lot of our equipment. Looks like we're going to have to purchase uh, 420 chairs that uh, we use for our concerts and uh, and uh, special events. But um, we did get our power back. 
Um, we're gonna, there's a couple of transformers in the basement that still have to be replaced. The fire system is um, being replaced uh, tomorrow, I believe. So once we get that, then we'll be able to officially have uh, events again at the art center. Our elevator, uh, we finally got it open today. It had six feet of water inside of it because what? during when when p the power fails, the elevator goes to the basement, and there's an emergency exit out of the basement. That's why it was programmed to do that, and we're going to rethink that with the elevator company because, uh, you know, what if people are in the elevator and the power goes out and, and the and the basement is flooded? That's not a good s scenario. So, mm. we're going to see if we can get that changed. Um, but uh, we're coming back. The the team is together, and we're doing everything we can to to uh, get open as soon as we can. Well, and Jim, despite these challenges, the Sydney and Burn Davis Art Center has become this this donation and distribution point for essential goods. Yeah. Uh, immediately after the storm, uh, I was inundated with calls from all over the country and saying, what can we do to help? And it just made sense because our, our first floor was um, uh, untouched by the storm. We uh, it just made sense to make it a, a distribution center. So we started accepting donations, and they just came flooding in. And um, we got the word out that this is where you can come to get emergency supplies. So everything from water to food to clothing to uh, uh, pet items, uh, child, uh, infant formula. And yeah, I understand baby supplies are in yeah, high demand. Yeah, those are the hardest thing to get, but uh, we were able to get some. And and the the reception that we've received has been tremendous. And the, the number of people that we've been able to serve is, is it, it's a silver lining on this whole mess. Um, so we're glad that we can help the community that way. And even still, while you're doing this, you went ahead with the, uh, the annual Dark <laughs> Arts juried exhibition. Everybody looks forward to that every year. Yeah. Um, Oh, go ahead. Well, like Will said, uh, the art community in, in Southwest Florida is very strong. And our annual dark art show is so well received. And the artists so look forward to that show uh, all year. And uh, we had about 130 artists signed up to participate. And we kind of did a survey. We worried, you know, is it too soon to do something like this? And they all said, oh, we definitely want to have the show go on if we can. So... They delivered their art after the storm, those who could, and uh, we went ahead and curated it and, uh, and f for the Friday night opening, and we just made it a distribution event uh, slash art show opening and uh, very well received. So um, we were glad for the, out, uh, the outpouring of support and the uh, community that came down, so it was well received. And, and Jim, I know this isn't the point at all, but do you kind of see a, a little bit of a silver lining in the sense that as a distribution center, maybe people who wouldn't ordinarily come out to a gallery exhibition are getting to experience what you have to offer? We have definitely seen a lot of new faces and um, a lot of new faces for support as well. So we're happy about that. Um, you know, there's a, a, a tremendous number of people that, have, that are coming downtown to see what actually took place and so they're they're finding their way inside the art center and um, asking what they can do to what they can donate towards uh, the cause so yeah we're, we're making a lot of new friends all right and, and margaret cooley with a laboratory theater of florida i, I understand your, your nearly 100 year old building is doing okay but as i mentioned at the top of the show 
Not so much for the education and prop buildings. Yeah, so we have really found that the theater is just much more than the stage. Um, our props and education building really support everything that we have going on when it comes to being and presenting a show. Every show that is in rehearsal goes through the education space. Uh, it serves children as the community uh, through camps, through workshops. We have ballet and improv for adults. We have all of these things that we do in this education space that we can't do anymore because it's just not usable. And our props building is not just props, the things that go on stage to make it beautiful, it's also the costumes. It's pieces that we've been collecting over our history, whether it's handmade gowns, um, beaded costumes, military uniforms, it's specific props that are saved because we think we might use them and they're just gone at this point. So we were lucky enough to be able to get our power back and get everything going in the main building again. But when it comes to the props building, there's a lot of things that are just not going to be salvageable. Do you know, was it flooding? Was it wind? I just haven't made it down there yet. It was a little bit of wind more than anything. Uh, the buildings are older. They're not as old as the main building. But there were just sections of the roof that were pulled off by the wind. And it was really tragic to go back after the storm and just see pieces of uh, roof peeled off like Tupperware lids um, and just in our parking lot. And cleaning all of that up afterwards, we had a wonderful group of volunteers come down and clear brushes and roofing nails and everything that was in the parking lot so that it was passable and usable for people in the future. Mm. So, Margaret, it was really heartwarming to see that, you know, at a time when proceeds from ticket sales might seem particularly important, you offered free performances of your current production of The Play That Goes Wrong. Were you able to be at those Either of those performances? I was. It was really heartwarming to see. I We have to give an amazing shout out and thanks to our licensors at Broadway Licensing, to the authors of The Play That Goes Wrong, Henry Lewis, Henry Shields, and Jonathan Sayer, as well as to Mayor Kevin Anderson, because there were people who've never been in the building who filed in as soon as doors opened and took a seat and got to enjoy possibly one of the funniest shows I've seen at the Lab Theater. It is hysterical from start to finish and... It was really fun to be there with them and see kind of the excitement and people walking up to me because they knew I was a part of the theater and saying, where do I put my donation envelope? And I would say, uh, just over there, we have a donation box. Thank you so much. <laughs> I, I imagine you probably would have seen a lot of folks maybe just unclenching their jaw for the first time and not even realizing that they hadn't. Yeah, absolutely. It was people seeking something normal. They... Uh, needed something to do other than stay at their house and move around a pile of leaves and branches. Um, it's like Jim said, uh, we had actors who were so eager to get going. We called them to say, are you okay? And they said, yes, when can I be back on stage? Mm -hmm. And for the people in the audience to say, this is great, I'm coming back, or to say, I needed something like this. I needed I didn't realize how much I was upset and being here and watching something hysterically funny made me feel comfortable again. All right. Um, do you think losing those two outer buildings is going to impact your ability to go forward with plans for this season or are you going to adapt? 
Well, we are going to adapt because that's what we do. I don't think a lot of people realize that at the Laboratory Theater, we have about three productions going at any given time. Mm -hmm. We have one on stage and we have two usually in rehearsals. So not having that main rehearsal space is going to change how I am juggling different items. Uh, As the production manager, I am juggling items of different weight and consistency. And sometimes I just have a lot more things to juggle. So this has been a really exciting opportunity to find more people to work with and find different opportunities, Um, whether that's finding different places to rehearse, finding different opportunities for rehearsal time, or going through Zoom or going in somebody's living room and just seeing how we can make everything happen. And and my next question is for anyone here who would care to weigh in. We've made comparisons to you know, coming out the other end of the pandemic and how hard that was, particularly for the performing arts. But this, to me, kind of feels like the opposite. And and by that, I mean the pandemic robbed us of our ability to gather together in person and enjoy quality art shows but and performances. But now, you all and the organizations you represent have the opportunity to bring us all together at a time when our community has never mattered more, it seems. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I uh, <clears throat> excuse me. I think that uh, you know, I was at another interview this morning, and um, it seems that the Southwest Florida could probably use the performing arts now more than you know more than ever. Uh, I, I, I think that there is a real strong uh, reason for uh, the fact that we we still celebrate performing. We go to the theater, we go to see concerts, we go out. You know, people still do that. That's a thing. And I think that at a time when uh, people feel so disjointed and could be feeling alone, um, there's nothing better than being involved in a communal experience, like sitting in an audience and taking in a, a performance of any of any kind, or, or or going to you know an art museum and taking in artwork. Um, yeah, I I you know it's funny the the. Um, the Greeks, you know, so I'm just talking theater for a second. So, so you know, they th- that's what most Western theater is based on, what the Greeks did, right? That's what, that's what we pull most of what we do in Western theater. Um, they use the theater, a lot of people might not be aware of it, as a, a, a way to help treat soldiers coming back from battles. And we all know that, they, you know, the Greeks in the Roman time fought many, <laughs> many, many wars, many battles. Um, but it was a way to treat what we now call PTSD, and they use they utilize that the, the the idea of storytelling and bringing people together to listen and be part of a communal experience, which obviously the theater is and other art forms are as well. Um, I, I think that it's it's something that we as a as a as a community probably need now more than we have in a long time, and I'm so grateful that we're all working together to bring folks to. Uh, to the to back to performing areas or performance uh, venues. Another thought on that is, I, I was thinking about this that uh, you know our number one tourist attraction in Florida is our beautiful beaches, and I think it's going to be a while before those uh, are back up and running and um, providing uh, the enjoyment that they do. So, what's next is the arts and culture and. Um, we're here. We're fighting to come back as quickly as we can. So um, we are, for at least the time being, going to be the main attraction for uh, Southwest Florida and the, our audiences. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, I think the other difference between this and the pandemic is that 
after the pandemic ended, we didn't have an answer for the hopeless feeling that we were all feeling of, I want to go out. I want to see my friends. And in fact, you are feel- if you are feeling hopeless, the answer is the arts at this point. There is something for you to do. There is a safe place to be. And that is all of our organizations for us to come out and do something. So in the theater, there is something called the ghost light, which is the light in the darkness at the end of the performance so that you kind of know where you're going. And in this case, the theater is its own ghost light. We are kind of shining the light for everyone else. So they have a chance to come find us. That seems like the perfect note to leave this conversation on. Thank you so much to all of you for joining me today. We've been speaking with uh, Florida Repertory Theater Artistic Director Greg Longenhangen, Broadway Palm Dinner Theater owner and Executive Director Will Prather, President and CEO of the Sydney and Burn Davis Art Center Jim Griffith, and of course uh, Production Manager for the Laboratory Theater of Florida, Margaret Cooley. Thank you all so much. Thanks, Thank John. Pleasure. Glad to be here. And if you missed any of today's show, you can always hear episodes in their entirety on our website, wgcu.org slash gcl, or subscribe to our podcast feed wherever you get your podcasts. Our show today was produced by Jared Gonzalez and yours truly. Our director is Richard Chinqui. Our social media coordinator is Tara Calligan. For now, thanks for listening. I'm John Davis. This is WGCU-FM Fort Myers 90.1, WMKO Marco Island 91.7 FM. We are NPR for Southwest Florida. But before we go, though, I did want to close today's program on a particularly moving note. Pardon the pun. Longtime Fort Myers Beach residents and musicians Stephen and Lori Martin lost their home in Ian. But in the immediate aftermath... They composed and recorded a song about the uplifting determination of our community. We'll hear that song now, along with a brief conversation I had with Stephen Martin earlier this week. Let's listen. Well, just to start off, and, and forgive my, my naivete, but I understand that, that you and Lori have been entertaining on the Fort Myers Beach area for three decades. Yes, sir, we have. Uh, I Our first season... On Fort Myers Beach was in 1992, and we've been singing and writing songs about it ever since. And I imagine you and Lori, um, you know, have performed at many, many of the local venues along Estero Island. Oh, sure. We, in all, in all those 30 years, I think we've played them all. Some of our, sometimes we've stayed for a long time. I the Holiday Inn, which became Pinchers, we played there for about eight years, and then. Well, the old channel mark that became the Naughty Turtle, we played there for about eight years. So, yeah, many, many of the venues. And you had um, you had planned on, on, you know, launching something, you know, right around the same time the hurricane was coming, kind of in coordination with the Mound House. Can you tell me a little bit about what that project was? Yes, uh, we have been writing a, a show. It's called Music Island, and it's all songs that have something to do with Southwest Florida and Estero Island. And on the 27th, we were scheduled to perform at the Mound House for a hospitality event. Uh, Allison Geisen is the cultural and parks director for Fort Myers Beach. And so together we were going to uh, play for the hospitality industry and the local town community leaders and introduce the Music Island Show. Music Island show itself, uh, in its complete form, would have uh, dancers 
and speakers talking about historical events or maybe nature and music island songs from the island. Unfortunately, that was scheduled for the 27th, and because the hurricane was coming, um, Allison, the parks director, suggested we postpone it, and now God only knows when we'll get, we'll get to do it. Right, so it's on it's on indefinite hold, but something you're still planning to, to bring eventually. Oh yeah, well we have the show all written and the songs all written, but Fort Myers Beach is going to go through quite some changes, isn't it? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, before we get to that, can you just tell me a little bit about Lori Star Productions? Um, is this something that you operated out of your home? Well, right, we had a, uh, our home on the island. We've been in that house. We bought it 24 years ago. And on the first floor, we had a small recording studio and performance space. And so the hurricane came in, Hurricane Ian came in with about 12-foot surge, and it took all our speakers and our microphones and our recording equipment. Fortunately, we saved the guitars, and that's what that song is about. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and Lori, my wife and I are Lori Star Productions. She's a bass player and a singer, and I'm a guitar player, and I play all the instruments and a singer. And we've been together for 40 years. Uh, before we came to Fort Myers Beach, we would be playing for Carnival Cruise Lines, Princess Cruise Lines. We were in Las Vegas for a few years playing at all the vet little venues out there. So we just brought that here to Fort Myers Beach, and it's been a good life for us. Were you on Fort Myers Beach for the hurricane? Yes, we stayed. We, we stayed right at home. We stayed upstairs on our second floor, and we watched the water rise and rise and rise right to our feet up on the second floor. And I, it, that's when it got a bit frightening. We really thought if it went any higher, we're going to have to swim to the house next door, which has a third floor, <laughs> but ours only has two floors. But that's when the water stopped and started receding. And then we watched all the buildings from all the neighborhood float down the middle of the road. Have you left the island since? Oh well, yes. We're we're not on the island today. We we have friends that are taking good care of us here in Fort Myers. That's the been the most extraordinary thing. It, even in this tragedy, so many friends have stood up. People are calling from all over, wanting to send things to help. People are helping every way they can. And I see that all over. That's the silver lining, lining to this nasty story, is people coming together and community and caring. Yeah. Um, and thank you again for, for sharing that song with us. You know, while, while so many of us were initially struck just by disbelief to the point of inertia, you wrote and recorded this song. Was creating this therapeutic for you in a way? Oh, yes. Music is so therapeutic for us. I'm sure it is for everyone. But really, as songwriters, and we've been writing songs for a long time, we've written a lot of songs, it it takes our focus. You know, I think, I think what it was is I was talking to someone out on the street, and we were all commiserating. And I said, oh, Hurricane Ian took everything but our sense of humor. And that was really the seed 
from where the song came from. Ian took everything but our sense of humor. And that's what that song is kind of about. Saving our guitars. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, it really does create an image. I mean, that's what you were doing, holding your guitars up high. Um, yeah, I, I, I thought I could float on a guitar. <laughs> we could float on our guitars if it came to that. Yeah. So a lifeboat will float and a blues man will sing. I wish I'd recorded it a little bit better, but, you know, that was kind of a last-minute thing on the cell phone, too. So maybe we'll get a better recording of it some, some other time. Yeah, I mean, for a cell phone recording, it really is beautiful. I mean, Laurie's vocals are just, oh, I, I haven't been able to listen to the song yet without crying, but it truly is oh uplifting. And I, the, the moment, I mean, when you talk about Ian couldn't drown our sense of humor, that really struck me. Because, you know, salvaging what I could from my own home last week, there were just so many unexpected moments of laughter and levity. It really didn't take our sense of humor. Yes, thank you. Well, I'm glad that came across in the song, and I'm I'm so glad to hear that you're going to share it with everyone. Thank you so very much, John Davis. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us. I'm so glad that you and Lori are alive and safe, and, and we'll all get through this together. Yeah, and it'll be all it'll be up to us all to rebuild the community that that we dream of. Our lovely little island, music island is what I called Estero Island. Yeah. Right. Well, without anything further, let's now hear Stephen and Lori Martin's song on Hurricane Ian. Looking up at an angry cloud Waiting for the rain to fall Never once to follow the crowd I remember it all Water kept rising, the wind did howl Windows crashed and trees did fall Fearing for our lives swim to cover there, there was, was no cover at all Ian couldn't drown our sense of humor we held our guitars so high a light bulb would float a blues man will sing and this guitar is high and dry Hurricane Ian washed it all clean You've heard this before, you know what this means Hard price to pay for anyone's sins Today's the day our new life begins Ian couldn't drown our sense of humor We held our guitar so high Our lifeboats will float, a blues man will sing and this guitar is high Before I close, so everyone knows We thank you down to our bones Such a relief 
deep down in our souls to know that we are not alone. Ian couldn't drown our sense of humor. We held our guitar so high. A light bulb will float, a blues man will sing, and this guitar is high and dry. Ian couldn't drown our sense of humor. We held our guitars so high A light bulb will float A blues man will sing And this guitar is high and dry